Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're dating, it can be so easy to get caught up in the stress and anxiety of every situation. Why aren't they communicating? Why didn't they text me back? Am I getting ghosted? Why is this happening again? Why can't someone commit? I've asked myself all of these questions too, more times than I can count. You wouldn't believe what happens when you approach these situations with a different mindset and focus on solutions instead of problems. I started therapy because I was so stuck on the problems in my dating life. My therapist helped me learn why I was ending up in the same situations over and over and helped me come up with a different way and a different mindset to approach dating. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. Whether you want to be a better problem solver or a better dater, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash other people today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash other people. Hey guys, it's Alana. And Jonah. And welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other, other people. people. Jonah, how are you? I am doing excellent in Brooklyn. Uh, the usual. Let's see. I wanted to share something about my personal life with you. I'm trying Whoa, to think. Oh, chill. Think. Let's, let's have drinks first. Get to know each other a little bit. I'm trying to think what that is. Oh, God. Something in my personal life. Well, on work life, I'm still waiting to hear back from a certain film festival about the movie. We might hear back next, uh, this week or next week. Uh, but getting well, you were excited. also going to hear back like a month ago and three weeks ago and two weeks ago. So. Yeah, well, we didn't get into the one that I wanted to hear back from a month ago. And then there is one that, we're, that we still are waiting on that we might get, you know, hopefully knock on wood, get into. It'd be really nice. Um, that's my professional life. Just been writing, turned in a new draft of a script, which I'm excited about. Um, it's kind of loosely based on our lives, actually, what you know about that. Um, and then... Dating life wise, I sent you a couple interesting screenshots last night where I like canceled a date and then I was like, am I being stupid or mean? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I know exactly. I, I was just waiting for you to say more before well, I, cutting in. No, I, I basically sent you a message where I had, I had to cancel on somebody twice. You guys very- don't ask me for advice for once. I did. And, um, and there was a little bit of pushback, a little bit of attitude from this person. Because fair, rightfully so though, because it was rightfully so and not rightfully, rightfully so. Thing. I, my mom needed help moving. She just moved yeah, to okay. New York city during a yes. pandemic. And then there was a fucking snowstorm. Yes. So here's, here's the scoop. So is not that Jonah, so. <laughs> Jonah canceled a date twice in a row. So, however, with good reason, both times, but as someone who that has happened to, you do get a little like, mm, is he making up excuses? Like you guys haven't met yet. You don't know each other. So That's, she doesn't. Well, yeah, yeah, yes, we've met. We've gone on two or three dates. Oh. That wasn't a first date. Oh. Ooh. oh, shit. Is your advice to me now changing that I should actually. Like push back. Oh, wow. You think I should. No, no. Because your advice at the time was don't judge her for this. She's just sort of being someone who's like a little upset by this, let down. And I said, okay, so then we made plans to see each other this weekend. She's probably just bummed out. She's probably bummed out. I'm sure once you see each other, it will be okay. And you can, here's the thing you could say something in person like, yo, my excuses oh, I'm were so legit. Like, I wasn't trying to piss you off or like actually cancel on you for no good reason. Like, your excuses were very legit. There weren't excuses. They were more important things that had to get that had to happen. <laughs> and like, I don't know, bro. It's like every anytime someone cancels bro. on me and they have like a, a relative excuse or sorry, reason something important. I never, ever, ever guilt them in any way. And guilt can come in the form of short text answers. Yeah. Saying like, fine. Yeah. Like it. It's a fucking game. Oh, God. Now I'm like getting upset by it. Anyway. <laughs> Remember when um, our intro was going to be three minutes? We just spent three minutes. I know, sorry, on but I think it's this. good content. It's good it is content. good content. It's it's important. It's Update important. Update us on your life, Alana. My life. Let's see. I am two dates in with someone, which is exciting. That hasn't happened in a while. Nice. So we'll see how that goes. And yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm really busy. Like I'm so busy right now, which is good. But it doesn't stop me from getting anxious when I don't get a text back for a while. Yeah, you were texting me for some advice to which you then posted a screenshot of me yelling at you for not taking You were yelling at me. Well, yeah, because 
you were playing, you know, just to call you out in the podcast. No, I was not playing a game. Alana, you said he needs to text me, otherwise he won't be able to see me. Like, that's no, his problem. that's not... That is okay. Hold on. I have the, I have the screenshots. I have the receipts. Okay, that is let's, absolutely, go read the, let's go read this. You want to read the screenshots? I can't because my... Oh, I can pull it up on my computer. Yeah, hold up. Hold up. Okay. All right. So just so quick context here. Originally, I had given Alana advice because she was waiting for someone to text her. And then we, we agreed that we would wait till Monday to have him reach out um, because she had done a lot of reaching out. And then he, of course, reached out with something cute and fun inside joke over the weekend. So that was eliminated. And then I was like, when are you going to see each other again? She was like, well, I asked him out last time. So now I'm waiting for him to ask me out. And then she followed up by saying, but like, if he doesn't. Hold on. Okay. I have it. I go okay. waiting for him to pop. You go, when is next date? I said, don't know yet. We're texting, waiting for him to pop the queue. Like he's going away next weekend. So I'm assuming he'll ask to do something this week. You go, I'll act like you didn't say the word assume. And I'll also act like you listen to our podcast. Yes. And. He goes, I go, ha, 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 and he goes, ask the fucker out. I go, I did for the second date. And he goes, what the hell is wrong with you? Ask again. I go, I'm being attacked. And you go, yeah, dude. Don't call me dude, bro. Rightfully attacked. I go, so I couldn't text him first until Monday, but I'm allowed to ask him out on every date. I don't get your species. Here's the thing. I have no problem but, asking. But, no, but the, the, but sh- I have no problem asking a guy out. I have no problem with it. I have no problem texting first, but it was like, I wanted to, after the second date, like, I wanted to hear from him because I wanted to know that he was still interested. Lana, keep reading. You st- you're cutting off the text. I'm going to take over now because you're 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 going to put not give me enough context here. So basically, you said I don't get your species, which by the way doesn't make any sense because those two things are different correlated conversations. My advice to you earlier was not to text him because you had done a lot of texting. We were trying to see if he wants to see you again, so he would text you before <laughs> Monday because you were worried that he wasn't going to text you again. That was my advice there. Then in the context of now trying to plan a new date, you said, I scheduled the last one. So I'm going to wait for him to schedule. And I go now scroll down all the way. I go, I'm trying to help you. You go, ha ha ha. I'm laughing. Sorry. I was posting a story of this conversation. Look at Lana smile right now. Cause she knows I'm fucking right. Okay. If he doesn't do it by end of day, I will. This is talking, do it by end of day, referring to planning a new date. I mean, it's not a crazy schedule. I possibly could Tuesday. If that's his only option, but then blank for a personal project. Then you have someone's birthday on Wednesday. And then you go, his fault for not asking me sooner. We could have been hanging out tonight. I'm not angry. I was joking. Yeah, but, but his fault for not asking me out oh my sooner God, I was, is I exactly mean- why you just... Re- you're, that is the point. Look at your smile. You know I'm fucking right. That's why you reach out and say, hey, I have a busy schedule this week. I would love to see you. These are the you're days so I can You're so right. Hate. You're so God, right. It should be it. easy. And no, I, okay, fuck off. I know it should be easy. It should be simple. But I just think it's funny that you read this when you're trying to make your point, you read the raw messages because <laughs> you know, I'm fucking right. All right. Anyway, you could do an entire episode reading the, wow. Should we just record another episode right now? Okay, everyone, want to give a quick shout out to our first official sponsor of Seeing Other People. And Alana, we waited a long time to bring on a sponsor because I think we really wanted to have it be a product that we truly love, use, and can encourage everyone listening to try. And of course, we wanted the founders and the company to be people that we relate to and resonate with. So John and Renee are the founders of Mindset Wellness CBD, uh, which is a CBD gummy. They make tons of products, by the way. They make uh, you know skin serum and... Uh, bath soaps. And one of the ones that we really love are these gummies. I particularly love the rest gummies, which have melatonin uh, with the CBD. And I straight up can't fall asleep anymore at night without these things. And they're not addictive. They're, they're, really, they're really good. They're vegan. They're, they're all natural. Um, but I really love after a stressful day of trying to navigate Hollywood and a dating life of being horribly painfully single, um, these are the perfect thing. The CBD calms you down. The rest melatonin helps you go to sleep. We actually got you guys 10% off and free shipping. If you use code seeing other people, uh, they taste amazing. They're vegan um, and they're gluten-free for all you and organic non-GMO. Uh, but they, they do an amazing job. And I seriously, and I mean this, like try them, try them and, and uh, use our code make an order. I promise you're going to want to keep ordering them and support a really awesome business from a happily married couple that works together and loves each other. Okay. And now we're in the episode, Francesca Bowman. 
how nice to see you all the way over on the other side of the world. Thanks so uh, much for having me. Thrilled to be here. We're thrilled uh, to have you. Thrilled to have you. Again, I was complimenting you before we started recording on your office. I do want to paint a small picture for our audience. You, you called it a study. You called it a study, first of all. So I want to make sure. Right. I call it a study. What do you call it? Office. Office. <laughs> office to me seems like in like a corporate building, not in a home. I don't know. Oh, fair, okay. fair. That is a very good point. I like you, study. Study. But maybe nice. that's a British thing. I don't know. I you um we have this awesome wallpaper, very calming blue. You have this really what looks like a cool wooden desk over to the side. Um, it's just a great vibe. I mean, it's yeah, a writer's. It's a if writer's. If you're listening, dream. I highly suggest you head on over to YouTube. Maybe watch, <laughs> hang out with us. <laughs> Um, let's jump in. Francesca, tell us about Matrimony Inc. And perhaps, you know, what inspired you to write a book about the history uh, of dating? So Matrimony Inc. It's my new book. It just came out and it's about the history of personal ads in America, but broadly the history of dating in America, because look, I've always been interested in personal ads. You know, when you see, you used to see them in the back of the newspaper, like back in the day, and they're always kind of fascinating. I started looking into them and I found out that they went back so much further than anyone realized, right? And as a historian by trade, I knew there was going to be a lot of interesting stories there. So like even, you know, one evening I found um, a personal ad going as far back as 1759 that no one knew existed. And when I found that, I was like, boy, there is a whole world out there of stories to be told about how people fell in love, um, how people formed families, you know, really how the nation was built on personal ads in many ways. And just for our audience, what, how do you describe a personal ad? What is, what is a personal ad? Right. That's a good question. So um, initially a personal ad would be an ad in a newspaper and magazine. And what's interesting is it means you get the first personal ads when you get the first newspapers and magazines. So in Britain, that would, was in 1695. <laughs> and in America, that was um, in, the, in the 1720s. And it's like, right, any new technology, what's fascinating to me is whatever the technology, one of the first uses for it is building relationships, which is basically a fancy way of like, getting more sex. Okay. So whether it was the first newspapers or magazines or whether it was the first websites, people always straight away are about building relationships. And so in America, um, once Benjamin Franklin and the like are launching newspapers in the 1720s within milliseconds, by which I mean months, you'd get the first personal ads. And I found them, yeah, as early as 1759 in Boston, you start getting them in New York City in the 1770s. And what happened was, as soon as those populations, that the populations of those cities hit a certain amount, so say around 20,000 people, 30,000 people, 40,000 people, which to us these days, of course, doesn't seem very many, but back in the 18th century was a lot. As soon as the populations hit that amount, and you can't just marry the girl next door or the boy from church, then people needed, uh, you know, a little bit of help with matchmaking. And that's when personal ads began. They were ads that would say, you know, husband wanted or wife wanted, and they'd be in a newspaper, often on the front page, funnily enough, because they were such wow. a source of entertainment to those people who would read them. Um, and they'd get reprinted every day. Uh, they'd be a certain number of words. And right, and then all through the 18th century, 19th century, and 20th century, you would find them in newspapers and magazines, of course, until around the 1960s when you get the first computer dating sites, as they were called, and then today with dating apps. So that, they've sort of evolved through, but they're all just different forms of advertising for love. So question for you, when, I'm so fascinated by all of this, when they were personal ads in newspapers and magazines through like from 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, did they change at all? Or was it basically like the same amount of information? How did they evolve mm. while still being in print? Right. So they, they evolved hugely. So the, um, so the, the, the first personal ad in America was in Boston in 1759. And it was from a young gentleman. He was looking for a lady who was between 18 and 23 of brown hair good stature and excellent morals was I've already aged out. So it sounds like yeah. that's exactly what I'm looking. For. I'm looking for that as well. So <laughs> that's there a, you go. Legitimately, legitimately, nothing has changed. Okay, continue. Sorry. No, legitimately, nothing has changed. So I was going to say the same point, Jonah. So, you know, a, a young lady between 18 and 25 
of middling stature, brown hair and good morals. Really what he's saying is young, respectable and rich, right? Mm. In, but in 18th century language. And that's kind of, you know, what a lot of people are looking for today. Young, respectable, rich. Or, you know, you can redefine what rich means. It might mean resources or, you know, a lot of Instagram followers. But um, you know, essentially, so um, it comes to the same point in terms of human mate choice. Anyway, so that that's just to, you know, give one example. That's America's first personal ad. Um, broadly speaking, as the ads, you know, um, uh, develop through the 18th century, um, appearances were not deemed that important. The language hmm. used in the personal ads would be something like um, well-looking or medium build or healthy, particularly um, pertaining to women. And that was a euphemism really for fertile, right? Hmm. Because healthy meant fertile. It meant able to bear me, my son and heir. Um, they would be very open and robust about the economics of marriage. So very open you know, like it would be a, a, a bold call today to, to say outright on Tinder, like must have loads of money. But in the 18th century, um, they would use phrases like um, must be successful in business or, um, oh, I know. Must so be new- successful in business is right. excellent. Right. Oh, well, I have I a better one. on my Hinge profile? <laughs> you should put it on it. No, this is what you should put on your Hinge profile. So um, New York City's first personal ad was in 1788. And it was uh, from a man looking for a woman. And his only criteria, right, his only criteria were that she was under 40, not deformed, and in possession of at least 1,000 pounds. Oh, my God. I know. I'm in. You, uh, there you go. Under 40, not deformed, and in possession of at least 1,000 pounds. Um, so that, that, that is a little is different to what you get today, not right? Not deformed. Well, also, so, I mean, first question is, are, are typically, are the people who are in search of others writing, using this language, or is there someone who existed as a middle person, like basically someone who wrote this for you? Or is it, there, is it the words out of their mouth? Do, you, do we um, know? We don't know. I okay. think it's the words, words out of their mouth, because in the beginning, again, the language used tends to be quite different. It's only as okay. you get in the 19th century and really the 20th century that you get far more uniformity of language. You get a kind of a style that everyone yeah. kind of accepts and knows and understands. So, and you mentioned the thing of like um, money, like it's funny. I've seen on Tinder people be like credit score of at least 700, like something like that, right? Where it's like a credit score checker has a 401k or like you see other ways of measuring finances where it's like uh, has a top sheet on their bed, which is like a, I think a subtle way of being like, as a job kind of thing. <laughs> right. right. Um, but, but that is, this is just so interesting. So I imagine for you, what was the process? Like you were just, when you made that first discovery, were you just turning after turning like, Oh my God, look at this discovery. I was, I was yeah. so thrilled because again, as a historian these days, it can be quite tricky to, you know, discover a story that hasn't been told before and not only hasn't been told before, but had, that there are, there's so much evidence of, you know, and it's evidence of people's innermost needs and desires. It's th- these incredibly mm. intimate stories that are being told in these ads of, mm. you know, women desperate to get married or men who have lost their first wife or, you know, there are so many stories in these ads as I would find hundreds and thousands of them through the 18th and 19th century also in every state in the nation that was what was interesting they weren't confined to New York and Boston and Philadelphia they spread and spread until I would find them in the tiniest local newspapers in Kansas and Wisconsin and all over and so again that's such a human insight into into what men are looking for in a woman and women looking for in a man and and how that's changed. And so that to me as a historian was obviously incredibly exciting. It was a lot of trawling through newspapers. I was going to say, is there, is it, was there one for is gender? Are there more men than women writing these things or vice versa? Or was it fairly equal? No. So interesting. One would assume that there were hardly any women placing them, especially in the 18th and 19th century when, you know, the cliches is that women were just sitting at home waiting for a man to turn up. But actually, I found far more from women than you would think. They would have the headline, husband wanted, right? Well, I feel like there was so much pressure on women at that point to just get married and have children. Exactly. So I feel like it, it was like all, all they could do if they, it was, if no one showed up. But that, but that pressure is, I think, I am curious, Francesca, your findings were women at that point, like the ones who were like courting dudes, guys in a way, like, isn't it men being like, I have to find a wife and someone who can like take care of the kids. Like, isn't that the mentality right. back then? 
So broadly, yes, but then you do get these instances of women far more often than you think who have obviously decided to kind of seize control of their destiny and do something about it, right? Rather than Love just that. sit there and wait for a man to turn up. They're like, right, you know what? And that, you know, so it took the kind yeah. of the, only the most bold, brave women to do it, wow. um, which is why sometimes, particularly their earliest personal ads, do have a slightly eccentric air. So one of my favorite early personal ads from a woman uh, was in a local newspaper in Wisconsin in 1853. And it says, husband wanted in like big, black, rather alarming type. Uh, and she says she's looking for um, a man who, um, uh, she says, I want no brainless dandy nor foppish fool, but a practical man who can hoe the garden and rock the cradle. Um, wow. So, you know, she uses this very kind of eccentric language that's a, i'm just that, i'm just writing down the time code because that's a great clip <laughs> that we're gonna have to use okay wait i have so i have two questions one jonah and francesca should we put a personal ad for me like in the new york times and and yes. see if that, this works we uh, right well the new york times is a perfect place to put one because they had them from the 1850s and you know what they don't even know they had them so the new york times in 2001 put out this press release being like we're going to start having personal ads and i was like no, no, you had hundreds and thousands from the 1850s <laughs> onwards that they didn't even know about. Wow. So um, you could, but the thing is, Alana, then you get a certain type of person right. responding, which is either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you're looking for, right? It's true. Well, that, that, that audience actually might be better for Jonah. That's okay. true. I mean, but I don't know who's looking for a friend. Like, I don't know who's looking for a, in a personal ad. And Francesca, I was going to ask you, and this might be jumping ahead, but what is the modern version to Alana's point? and request of having a personal ad sent out about her. Um, what is the modern version of a personal ad in your opinion? Is it, is it a, is it an Instagram grid? Is it a, is it a Twitter feed? Is it? No, I think it's a profile on one of the mainstream. Interesting. Interesting. Obviously there are huge differences, not only therefore in what you're putting out there, but also, you know, the kind of person who, who is coming to you and, and, and that, you know, has changed significantly from personal ads through to dating apps. What's interesting to me is how the medium in which you're advertising for love can then affect, like, who you end up with, right? Because yeah. so in the old days, you place a personal ad and it was charged by the word. So you had to be very succinct in terms of who you're, what you're looking for in a man or a woman. Obviously, yeah. these days, people have a really long list of like, he's got to be like this and this and this and this, and she's got to be like this and this and this. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Who can say? But it's definitely shifted human mate choice. Well, it's also interesting because sometimes on dating apps, as we've discovered, people say what they don't want. I'm not looking for someone who voted this way or who's, you know, who has a picture with a fish. And it doesn't sound like that's common with the personal ads. I mean, did you ever see any ads that's like, I don't want this? Or is it always what they're looking for? Because it's seeking. It's like, I guess my, I guess my point is with the dating app stuff, it's a little bit of a two-way street and you go on the dating app to find somebody on these personal ads. It kind of feels like more like a walking advertisement where it's like, I am openly manifesting and looking to welcome this into my life, which is why I say Instagram in a weird way where it's like, right. But I it's mean, did you? I, so I think you're absolutely right about how um, in, in the early days, people would often describe themselves more than talk about what they were looking for. And if they yeah. did talk about what they were looking for, there were certain tropes that turn up a lot. So particularly in the 19th century, people would say women would say must be sober because there was a big problem with mm. sobriety. You know, say mm. in Philadelphia in the 1860s. Um, the men there drank three times more alcohol on average than they do today. So, you know, that was wow. a, that was an issue. Wait, what? So everyone was just like drunk all the time. So they'd be like, must be sober. You know, it would be very specific criteria. It does mean that from reading all these personal ads and like tracing them through to dating apps, I don't know what you think, but it, it, my conclusion when people say, so, you know, what's your advice about dating mm -hmm. from reading all these ads? I would say it's be really open-minded because you never know who you're going to fall in love with. So wow. to have a long list of like, he must vote this way and he, his photograph mustn't be with a fish or this or whatever. <laughs> you, you don't know until you meet that person. And, and it's kind of a cliche, but it is true that you never know who you're going to fall in love with. You might surprise yeah. yourself. 100%. So question for you. Obviously, we're talking a lot about like men looking for women and women looking for men. At what point in the history of personal ads did people start seeking like publicly like same sex marriages or couples? 
Right. So um, what's tricky about that question and frustrated me throughout my research is, of course, um, because it was illegal to be gay until really relatively recently. Yeah. Um, uh, you had to use euphemisms in your personal ads throughout the 19th century and, you know, right up until the 1960s, right? It was it was illegal. So you couldn't openly advertise for a same-sex partner. Um, it meant that in Britain, when I would find these ads, um, I could kind of decode the euphemisms. They would say things like, um, man looking, I mean, they'd be all the cliches. We would laugh at the cliches today. They would say things like, man looking for companion must like Oscar Wilde, Byron and theatre. You know, every sort of ridiculous wow. cliche, right? Yeah. But with the Love American personal ads, I found it a bit harder to... Um, decode. I know they're there, but for another project, what I would love to do is work with a linguist, um, somebody who's an expert in the history of language, to work together to find those very early ads, because I found it difficult to kind of read between the lines until they became much more open, you know, with some of these early magazines in the 1960s in like San Francisco, when you got the first gay ads, and then the first lesbian ads kind of about a decade later in the 1970s. But certainly, as I say, they had to go under the radar. So they were harder to track down. Once you, once you like, I guess my question is, do, do people sign off with their names? And then I forget, we realized that NASA's all right, let's say you find someone on the other end. You're like, this sort of person is my, I am meant for them. They're my soulmate. What do you do next? Do you, is there a number you call or do you show up to the post office? Like, do you send a phone number in the 1700s? Do you, do you show up right. to a saloon? Yeah. You slide into their DMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens next? Okay, so um, at the end of all um, these early personal ads, it'll say, please write to. So you'd write a letter to either the newspaper office or there'd be a PO box number. Oh my God. It would say all letters to be addressed to this particular. Um, so for example, um, New York's first personal ad in 1788, um, you were asked to send letters to uh, the newspaper office, which was in Peck Slip. Um, so I like to imagine like women going down there on the cobbled streets, like darting amongst the kind of crates yeah. of fish and leaving a letter. So you would write a letter um, or sometimes to a coffee house. That was a popular place as well. And then you'd exchange letters for weeks or months. What is amazing about that is, of course, then if you did decide to get married, one of you would have to jump on a stagecoach on the train, travel a thousand miles, two thousand miles to marry someone you'd never met before. Meet for the first time. Yeah, I know. Amazing. I mean, that is mind blowing, right? That's I mean, that's in, that's mind blowing. But you, I guess you can get that intimacy of like writing letters. I was going to say, did you ever track someone where it's like you found you found you discovered a personal ad and then you somehow found the vows section or the wedding section were you able ever to link like the setup and the payoff in a, totally in a way? but i totally wow. was wow. the thing is it tended to <laughs> and be the chills i love oh, this totally so much. Chills. right the only thing is it tended to be when things went badly because the problem is when you're tracking <laughs> couples in the early days who, who met you know through the newspapers or magazines if, it, if they lived happily ever after, they tended not to talk about it, right, in the 18th and 19th century because there was a little bit of stigma attached. So you might not know. It was only when things ended very, very badly that then you would find out because it would be, you know, a, a story. So if there was, if you ended up in court because of bigamy, fraud, or even murder, that's when you know about it. So it gives you a bit of a skewed view because every time wow. you read about these couples in the paper, it's like, she was murdered. He stole all her money. She <laughs> had been married seven times before. And that's yeah. obviously not a fair picture at all, but it's all you read about. Um, wow. So I have lots of couples who met that way. Um, a few happy. So one of my favorite stories is one of, um, uh, she's called Augusta Larson and she lived in Chicago in the 1860s as a Swedish immigrant. She answered a letter in the newspaper from a pioneer farmer in um, Washington state. They married, they, you know, were kind of the founders of Washington state in many ways and again, helped kind of build the nation. Um, so I have a few of those. I have a lot of stories of people who like got murdered because of a personal ad, I'm afraid, but they are not representative. Let me hasten to add. Wow. That <laughs> is just, I imagine as you're discovering these things too, you're kind of just having these eureka moments where it's oh, I, every day in your little, in your, in the office there. And it's like, Oh, I just, it's the like study, a national treasure. The office, the study. Right. The study, in the study. study. I watched national treasure the other day. So yeah, this is really, Perfect movie. this is really national treasure for that. relationships. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So, okay. So you mentioned how they'd write letters back and forth for a while. And then one person might have to travel like a few hundred or thousand miles. What about over time as transportation, 
developed and came into play? Like, how did that actually change the course of dating throughout history? Right. Hugely, because because railroads were transformative to every aspect of American life, but in particular their dating life, right? Because it Mm -hmm. used to be that you could only think of marrying the boy or girl who lived in your geographical area, right? In your village, maybe the next town if you were feeling really adventurous, possibly the big city if, you know, that's if if that's where you were moving. Mm. But the building of the railroads in the 1860s meant that suddenly you you could answer personal ads from people in California or Kansas or Washington state or Texas from your, you know, tenement building in New York City, right? And that is completely transformative. Well, it just opens a whole new pool of people to marry. Now, again, you guys will know this better than I do, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to suddenly have so much choice, I think is is up for debate. Um, I think it's a bad thing. It's definitely a bad thing. I kind of think maybe it's a it's yeah, a bad paradox thing. of choice is so rough. It's exactly if you know if suddenly you can marry anyone in the whole country, that's tricky. Whereas if if you're restricted to whoever lives in your town, well, you know you work with that. Meanwhile, my head is racing with the names of every guy that I grew up with. And I'm like, well, who would I have ended up with? Like this guy from science class or this person who was on my bus because he lived closer. There you go. And you know what? Then you wouldn't expect them to be perfect. Which isn't to say you're settling. It's just to say, and it's not to say you've lowered your standards. It's just you wouldn't expect them to be perfect because like they're the guy in the science class. So like, you know, you've always known they're like, uh, you know, their flaws, but also what's funny about them. And so when they're like, make a kind of a dick move they're like oh well, yeah he was like that since he was 10 who cares whereas if you're meeting someone new for the first time you have a different set of criteria and that can yeah. be kind of destructive right yeah um oh, don't look so depressed <laughs> Elana, i've depressed you don't be depressed i'm like i need to go build a time machine now <laughs> how often to, to your knowledge how often would people take out these ads and how long would they run for um, is it a daily thing or like, you know, it's kind of like when you delete Hinge or delete Tinder, then you go back on it or you delete your profile. Like what's the equivalent of that? And Right. So they'd run daily or weekly for, okay. I'd often find them for about three or six months at a time. Or sometimes they'd be a one-off. It actually varied enormously, again, depending on whether the ad was in, say, the New York Times mm. or in the, you know, South Carolina Gazette, or also, you know, depending on the time period. So whether it was like during the Civil War or whether it was, you know, much, much later during the during World War Two. So, you know, that changes quite a lot over time. Did, did you have to be did you have to have some disposable income or was this free? Uh, so in the beginning, you had to pay for the ads. And okay. so you had to be um, of a certain sort. Again, it means, yeah. you know, you are narrowing down who is advertising. What is fascinating to watch is with the, with the 19th century and industrialization and population growth in all the big American cities, as farm workers flood to the cities and, and farm girls, factory workers, you get the de- democratization you get the democratization of these personal ads. And so for the first time you see like, you know, factory worker looking for a wife or farm girl looking for Mm. a husband. And that totally changes the game because you no longer have to be fancy to do it. What it did mean is that then loads of people freaked out about it because um, like newspaper columnists suddenly decided personal ads were like the devil's work because (laughs) it meant that people from different social classes could meet and get married and have kids. And oh my God, what was going to be the result? It was going to be the moral, the moral collapse of America. Oh, so you see this kind of moral freak out in the second half of the 19th century for that reason. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So fascinating. Like all of it, my head is spinning. It really is. I love this. So here's a question for you. How did you let's fast forward now, almost a hundred to 200 years into the future. Okay. And you are still alive is immortal <laughs> and we're all here you, you want to write a book on the new history of the personal ad and dating culture and you know sort of matrimony how would you describe knowing now that you have this thousand year knowledge of it what's happening today so i would say when you talk about today the thing is you can't escape the impact of the pandemic and while we don't mm. know how that is going to change things long term don't you wonder whereby it might take us back to a dating culture where we are looking at a smaller pool of people, where we do travel less, 
where we are less likely to get on a plane from LA to New York, mm-hmm. whereby the people who live on our block or in our town perhaps um, take on a new appeal. And again, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, who can judge? But I do wonder if the pandemic does go some way to to taking us back, you know, not, you know, not hundreds of years back, but even to the 1950s, whereby you were not just going to jump on a, on a plane because of somebody you'd met on Hinge. Right. Um, so that is what I am interested in, you know, in terms of dating during the pandemic and what comes after. I wonder if there will be a long-term effect. There may not be, um, yeah. but these things are often cyclical. Right. And it yeah. seems to me having had these decades of, you know, jumping on a plane to LA to, to meet some guy we met on a dating app. I wonder if in the next few decades that won't be so common and we will recalibrate, you know, where we're looking for people and, and how we date in that respect. I, I'm laughing as you say all this because I have gone to LA, like from New York to LA for like multiple different guys. Like yeah. I've dated multiple people, me in New York, them in LA. <laughs> Okay, so we are so excited because Seeing Other People officially has its first podcast sponsor. Woo! We are stoked to be teaming up with Mindset Wellness CBD. They have a variety of awesome CBD products ranging from gummies to drops to honey sticks and more. And they also have different products for different mindsets, which is really cool. So if you're looking to feel happy or calm or restful or focused and even more, there is something for you. And you can get your mindset at mindsetwellnesscbd.com. And if you use code seeing other people, you'll get 10% off and free shipping because we want you to feel happy too. Yeah. And these things are actually legitimately, I mean, we we said we have to try them first. We want to work with you too, um, but they're amazing. And this couple, you know, who we're going to be interviewing, John and Renee, they're going to have their own episode. They've been married and they work together and it's really impressive. And yeah. so we're supporting a, a family run business and successful relationship. So basically what we're saying is if you eat these gummies, you're going to be happily married and have a (laughs) successful business relationship with somebody. And of course they are all gluten-free, vegan, organic, and non-GMO and they taste really good. So have we convinced you yet? I think I'm convinced. I already took my happy gummies just now. So maybe why why I'm like going off because I'm so happy, but that's right. Yeah. All right, mindset wellness CBD. Yes. There, I've I've seen some things going around online that people are like breaking up with people because they found someone who's vaccinated, and they're like, it's just not worth the risk. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Wait, that wait, 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 wait! They're breaking up with people because they found maybe, someone maybe, who's maybe not breaking up but like a relationship, but if they were like hooking up with someone, seeing someone, they're sending that like anti ghosting text, that act text that we always talk about where yeah. it's like, Hey, I've really liked hanging out with you, but I met someone who's vaccinated and that's just a lot more safe right. and a better well, situation. So. You'd rather go out with someone who is vaccinated than not vaccinated. <laughs> that is, that is funny. And on like day one of the pandemic back in like March, my brother, who's a novelist, he said, you know, what's going to happen is there's going to be two stratas of society this time in a year those who have the vaccine passport and those who don't. And it's going to be like the new like um, social divide. And I was the like, ha, ha, ha. and I'm like, oh my God, he's a genius. He saw into the <laughs> yeah. future. Wait, when you have the vaccine though, and this is not a health podcast, but I think you're still <laughs> contagious. I don't know. You, if you can still pass it on. Yes. But you so your friend is not doing, is not making a smart but, decision. But this isn't my friend. I've just seen this, on, this oh. a few times online, but Imagine if like, if I have the vaccine and you don't, and I meet Francesca who has the vaccine, I'm going to want to be with Francesca and oh, not you. Right. Oh, I see. This person was seeking other people who are vaccinated. Again, right. I don't know. A, I don't know. It's, their an equal choice. it's, it's an, an equal, equal choice. It's an equal choice. Yes. That makes Between sense. somebody who's vaccinated and somebody who's not, you know, oh. fair enough. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. So, you're, so you mentioned that your brother's a writer and, and uh, listeners, we are going to be lending the expertise of Francesca to answer your questions that we have coming up. But I do want to quickly get into you and your writing process. When you sit down and write a book, I am a writer as well. Alana writes uh, some of our hit tweets. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. I I, I write in 140, well now 280 characters. They do very well. Um, (laughs) Tell us, you know, I guess, what is your writing process? And then what drew you to this subject matter? Let's start there. 
So I've always loved history. That's always kind of been my thing. Mm. And particularly um, social history and the history of little things that can then tell us so much about the world. What really gets me excited actually is realizing I'm the world's expert in something, anything, wow. even if it's like that teaspoon or this chair. Yes. The idea that I know more about it than anything else is really thrilling to me. So my first book was about the history of the pineapple, which so people cool. think is a joke <laughs> with a punchline. It's not a joke with a punchline. It's a real thing. So it was. A, I'm the world's expert on the history of the pineapple. I spent 10 years on this. Oh, my uh, God. And it's like fun because I know about this weird thing and no one else yeah. does. And da, da. So I've always been, I've always researched a history of stupid stuff. I love that. Um, I, yeah. I want to know everything about the pineapple now. Well, you can buy well, her book. I'm you'll have to start to. a fruits podcast, Alana, yeah. and I can tell you all about it. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> can you give us a quick pi- pineapple, like just one fact about the pineapple that maybe our listeners don't know? Oh, Please. of course. I thought you'd never ask. So okay. in the 18th century, one pineapple cost the equivalent of about $100,000. They were like the Prada handbag of their day. They were huge status symbols. <laughs> you would take them to parties under your arm to show how rich you were. You wouldn't eat them because who would eat like such a status symbol? That would be ridiculous. You'd take them to parties until they began to rot. Um, they were a way, they symbolize, look how rich and fancy I am. Is that why pineapples are kind of in art and culture as like a flourish? It's like a, it exactly. is kind of, oh my and God. Holy people shit. People think it's a symbol of hospitality because that was kind of a, a myth that colonial Will- Williamsburg spread in the 1930s. They're a symbol of the opposite of hospitality. They're a symbol of like, I am so much richer than you, don't even come near. Um, okay. So George Washington would serve them at dinner. So with Thomas Jefferson, they would serve them to their dinner guests as a, as a way of asserting their status. We Holy are going shit. to need to do something with this. Um, yeah. but, uh, okay, so now, now describe to me your writing process. You sit down in the study and, and what hours of the day are you writing and what apps are you using? Oh, well, um, because, cool. I'm a his- right, because I'm a historian, I do all the research first. So that normally takes um, about three years um, per book. Um, uh, initially that meant a lot of going to the library in the last five years so much historical material has been digitized that often I can do it from home Um, and then there's a few months of um, collating the research and trying to figure out what my argument is which mainly means a lot of going like this (laughs) Um, because there's just like bits of paper everywhere and chaos and then the actual writing for me as a historian is kind of the smallest part of it. It normally right. takes a year or two. Um, I need to collate the material, put it in a structure and figure out what my argument is and then write and write and write. I'm a big believer in um, that the blank page is the devil. It's so much better to write something than yeah. nothing. So I write like a really awful first draft that's just like, blah. Yeah. And then I go back and edit and edit and edit. Um, and just because I'm a nerd about the particulars, are you writing like 9 to 9 a.m. or what are the hours? And then are you using like um, pages? I, so I write in Word, Microsoft okay. Word. I use Evernote for my filing. Love Evernote. I write every day from 10 till 3 because I have three kids and then I have to pick them up from school. I, um, my top tip is to have very low domestic standards because otherwise there's no time to write because you're too busy cleaning up breakfast and making your bed. You have to not bother with any of that or you don't have any time. Um, that's really my only writing tip. <laughs> very impressive. I, I love, no, I love that's, per, uh, that's selfish of just wanting to pick your mind there on your writing process. But that, um, I think the weird thing is it, it helps to have less time. It's kind of a cliche, but it's like the more, you know, yeah. busyness expands to fill the time you have. So if you have all day, you take all day. If you only have five hours, you get it done. And that is definitely true. So even if you have to artificially like make up an appointment so that you have to get it all done really quickly, I find that's definitely that, helpful. Yeah. I also me. work in the evenings a lot. I work okay. in the evenings a lot. Other people find that weird, but, um, but I work in the evenings a lot and it, and it suits me and my husband yeah. who is used to it. So, Jonah's a morning because, writer. Every oh, he has three hours blocked off every morning. But then okay. I do I do have those nights. I know you're talking about. Sometimes you're just reading and you're like, it's nine p.m. But wait a second, this is just kind of flowing out. And now I'm like, the scary part is I could do this all night. And I actually right. really appreciate the advice because I'm one of those people who I give myself all day to do something where it's like it, my best work always comes from when I'm sort of not rushing, but like I have totally. to get it done. 
<laughs> so I always get my best work done on like a Saturday night. It's when I yeah. when I'm not supposed to be working, and if it's yeah, like a Monday yeah. morning, yeah. a Monday morning I can't get anything done. It's kind of the rebel in me. But when I'm when it's like when I'm not when I don't feel like I have to work, yeah. that's when I get the most done. Like a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, or when I just kind of like sneak to my desk. I started doing something recently because I am freelancing. I have the podcast. I have like a ton of different projects that I'm working on. And sometimes like by, by like halfway through the day, my head just feels like it's going to explode. And like, there's so much to do. Like there's never a shortage of work. There's always so much more that right. can be done, but right. I keep, I don't sleep well. And I've been waking up in the middle of the night, usually like once a night at least. And right. I used to sometimes get so frustrated. Like I can't fall back asleep. I'm like, I'm awake and this sucks and I want to fall back asleep, but I can't. And I recently started just being like, okay, like I'm awake. You know what? This is beautiful, right. uninterrupted time to get Get shit done. And right. so I find myself like doing my best work from right. like like three to five AM or four right. to six AM. And it's just it it's amazing. There's and a cool hashtag. There's a cool hashtag on Instagram that's um early morning writers or early morning writing, I think. And it's all pictures of people writing like in the middle with, of the night. In the, yeah, like totally dark, but maybe like candles and a cup Love. of coffee and you know, no one disturbing them and them getting, say, yeah. two hours done from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. That would never work for me because I'm not a morning person, but I know for others, it's great. Yeah. It's and Alana, fun. I'm going to call you out there. You need to put your phone away. You need to put the it, phone. No, I don't. I don't look at my phone. I have a clock so I can actually see without okay, checking my phone good. what time it is. And I will never look at my phone in the middle of the night un- until I've decided, like, I've given it like 20 to 30 minutes of trying to fall back asleep. I'm like, I'm awake. And then I will like pull out my phone, pull out my computer and get to work. Copy you. Um, well, that's, that's, that's inspiring. I'm going to check out that Twitter thing. Uh, this is awesome. Now on our, on our agenda here, before we get to listener questions, Francesca, you were telling us that you are in, you have visual sight of a certain very special location uh, of a certain TV show that perhaps some of our listeners have heard of called Bridgerton. Um, I do. So I, I live, I'm recording this from my house in Bath which is where much of Bridgerton is filmed. So, for example, I can pretty much see Lady Danbury's house out my window. It's, it's a museum called the Holborn Museum in real life. Yeah. Um, almost all the outdoor scenes are on the Royal Crescent or in uh, Royal Victoria Park, which is just around the corner. So it's all been very exciting recently since Bridgerton has you know, become such a big deal. What are your thoughts on Bridgerton is it accurate? Does it really describe what the situation was like at the time? And what, I mean, as, as someone who knows so much about this, like you are the expert, what, what do you think? I think it is the world's worst written, worst acted show. And yet I enjoyed it so much yeah. and watched the whole thing in like two nights. It was such fun and exactly what I felt like. So You know, I think its timing was perfect. It just, you know, came out when we were all feeling quite bleak and needed Mm. some escapism. And so while the dialogue is ridiculous and the acting is weird and the costumes are absurd and and the the way they behave is, is, you know, totally not historically accurate, I don't care about any of that. I just found it incredibly entertaining. So I think it just has to be judged right on what it is. Um, I think... They're not trying to be historically accurate. Why should right. they? Who cares? You know, that isn't, uh, to me, that is not a, a criticism when people are like, oh, it's not historically accurate. They're not trying to make a documentary, right? So um, yeah. I it's loved it. But I think it doesn't have much to say about real life 18th century courtship, really. I, I think the one thing it does kind of get to is, is how important marriage was for women, how tragically important it was for women, how that was the be all and end all. Um, As Jane Austen said, you know, for women, matrimony was the be all and end all. And without it, what were they going to do? Um, And and that it does capture very well the kind of desperation. And of course, there was desperation because these poor women, what else were they going to do in order to be financially stable? So I think it is interesting. It brings that to life in a very vivid way. And we loved it. And we loved it. Moral of the story. We all we loved it. We all you, loved it. If you the haven't watched terrible, it yet, go the watch it. terrible. But, it's, but yeah. we loved it. I enjoyed it so much. Yes. And, we, and we love the Duke. We love the, the Duke. Pop, love it's the, the pop culture lens in which that makes it modern and interesting. That's like all these, all these dated 
dramas that take place in like you know royal times it's like how modern can we make something that's not modern and that's like the whole twist of it right like let's make them talk like us let's make them listen to music that we listen to you know um but that's that's awesome that yeah i I guess one quick question before we get into the user uh the listener questions are you a fan of the movie the holiday Because she works I mean, for a book publishing company, and so I wasn't sure if this is something that you were therefore a fan of. I am a, am I a fan of it? I've seen it a few times, and it's incredibly entertaining. I mean, again, it's it's a bit like Bridgerton. It's totally absurd, right? right? But incredibly <laughs> right. entertaining, and that yeah. has huge value. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you don't like the holiday? Good to know. I, mean, uh, <laughs> I do like. What does like mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's entertaining. Like, yes. yeah. Yeah, enjoy okay. watching. Yeah, right. enjoy yeah. watching. All right, like. let's hop into these questions. Um, so, guys, if you're listening to this and you want to submit a question, uh, definitely, Jonah. Do you want to drop our little Patreon commercial? Sure, uh, tr- quick Patreon commercial, everybody. If you're listening, we are now going to answer our patrons' questions. Uh, you can sign up to our Patreon account. And you, you can support us with a cup of coffee or you can support us a little bit more and get a hat, you know, all the way up to having Alana and I invite you onto a text thread where we revamp your profile and act as your dating friends. Uh, as you're navigating the dating world, you get a sweatshirt. They're all different levels. It's all there. But the main thing is you get your question answered on the show. Uh, so go ahead, look at our Patreon. Let us know if this interests you. Let's go with the first question here. That is so cool that people can have you as like their dating pro- profile coach. Yeah, it, we've been cool. having we've been doing zooms with some of these people where we're actually like figuring out what they're looking for, what their biggest pain points and struggles are, what their like dating history is, and then like taking a look at their profile, figuring out how to set it up for what they're looking for, and really like seeing it through with them along the way. That is amazing. Have you guys immersed yourself in all the research about how, for example, if a man posts a photograph of himself with a dog, he gets like 70% more responses. And if a woman's in a yoga pose on a beach, she also yep. gets like, it's, it's amazing what it cliches we all are, right? It's wild. The, the data is crazy. And black and white photos, plugging Logan's book that's coming out. Logan Neary <laughs> has a book called How to Not Die Alone. And she talks about black and white photos doing very well. Which is actually right. shocking because that's like a little bit of artistic and typically people, anything that's not just as basic as hell, people are like, no, it's too crazy. It's too artsy. A black and right. white photo. They must be a struggling artist. Interesting. I'm excited to read your book, Alana. And that's not an ad. Oh, that's oh, just sorry. me it's saying our, those words. It's our friend Logan's book. It's our friend Logan. Oh, I, Logan's yeah, book. I write in 140 characters. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number one. Hey, Lana and Jonah. I think I have the opposite problem than most daters right now in that I have too many dating prospects. Currently sitting at seven, which doesn't include new matches, women I've only communicated with on dating apps or conversations that have fizzled out. I think my problem in narrowing it down is that I really like certain aspects of each woman of each woman because they highlight different things I'm looking for in a woman and or things that highlight different aspects of myself. For example, some are very funny and nerdy and communicate exclusively in memes and gifts. Some are very thoughtful and well-traveled, and we can talk forever about anything in the world. Some are hilarious and easy to talk shit with. Nothing is serious yet, and I think that's for various reasons. Pandemic, distance, work, etc. This is likely a personal thing I need to work out, but I was wondering if either of you have any advice on helping me to at least cut the number in half. You're massively overthinking it. Just pick up the phone. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think his concern is that he has... He's not concerned. He has basically a word sometimes we use over here. It's called roster. He has a list of, of suitors and he's trying to narrow it down. He can't. Is that... Alana, are you... Are you yeah, thinking? yeah. And, and I get that. And, and I, I appreciate you giving us all of these like little looks to the different aspects in each woman that you like. What I think is that, yes, as much as, as we were talking about the paradox of choice and there being so many options. Yeah. Like we all have these things about ourselves that we like and about the people that we interact with that we like. So in our heads, we're like, okay, we can pick out a la carte from a menu, the items that we want and the like traits that we want in a person. So it's like, we're looking so hard for someone that has all of those things, but that is not necessarily a recipe for success because we, you might not actually know what is right for you. So in terms of like long-term happiness. So what I think the best thing to do is think about like how these people make you feel and 
rather than like, okay, this person's really funny or nerdy and like we can text really well. I think like, who do you genuinely want to spend time with? If you had one free day of the week, who is going to make you feel the most fulfilled? Who, which of those women are you going to be like, that's the one, or these are the two that I want to spend my time with. And I would say go from there. What do you think? Both of you. I agree with you. I think just as an exercise in that, it can still be difficult to pick who you want to spend that day with. So what you should do is you obviously done a great job of recalling each qualities of each of these people. Then as Imana said, it's how they made, how you made them, how they made you feel. So you should really think to yourself by either writing down or just visualizing which one of these women made me feel happiest and most uniquely me. And then just, I would say, Pursue them solely yeah. and like drop the rest <laughs> for now. I lo- and, and let them know. Don't ghost them. Don't ghost <laughs> yeah, them. Don't, Send yeah. that act text. Um, but also I love with that, that. It's the, that idea of with when are you the best version of yourself and with yeah. which of them are you the best version of yourself? That's to the point of your point about how do they make you feel? When are you the best version of yourself? And that can also be a really good predictor of like whether a relationship's going to work. Exactly. Yeah. So let us know how it goes. Keep us posted. Next question. Uh, I'll take this one, then Jenny can grab the third. How do I stay motivated to keep trying to date when I'm having no luck getting past the second date and with COVID making things harder? Oh, I would say there is somebody out there for everyone and you have to be absolutely sure of that. And I tell you why I know why. My favorite ever personal ad from the past appeared in the New York Times in 1903. And it was from, uh, it went like this. Young man with a glass eye is looking for a young woman also with a glass eye. Da, 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 da. And it really speaks to the idea that there is somebody out there for everyone, whatever their quirks and whatever their like, you know, physical differences or whatever it is, there really is somebody out there for everyone. So I'm not saying that your listeners should necessarily look for someone with a glass eye, but I am saying that you have to like keep the faith that there's somebody out there for everyone. Love. That's so true. Because you know that person with the glass eyes looking at is reading that and saying, hey, there they are. Found them. Exactly. You know, metaphorical glass eye. Exactly. Yeah. Hang in there. It is hard right now. And it's hard even not in the pandemic. And you're not the only one struggling, but it is going to be okay. Hang in there. Um, yeah, I agree with that advice. So I have nothing further to add. I'll read the third question. Virtual dating has been an absolute nightmare. I've been texting this girl for about a month now, along with some video chats during the week. Things are going well, and there's certainly some chemistry between us. In any other scenario, the logical step would be to meet in person for a real date. However, the pandemic has now allowed us, has not allowed us to do so. Her grandma lives with her and would love to meet in person, but is hesitant in the case her grandma could be, in case her grandma could be compromised. Tough word. Any advice on how to further progress things if we can't meet in person one i'll jump right in i think it's they're not it's nice that there's persons being mindful i think you cannot risk it they're living with a grandma let's not put the grandma at risk let's not even guilt someone into putting the grandma at risk but if you want to progress things you can do things emotionally you can do things over you can you can create ritual you can find ritual still over video video chat Mm -hmm. and text by having a conversation about taking the relationship to the next level. Oh, let's be, let's be, let's be partners. Let's be exclusive. Let's, let's enter into a relationship. Let's create rituals. I feel like one of the things I've noticed over the pandemic is human beings in general, finding the way to re- to create rituals in the new world of like, whether that's dinner at the table on Sunday night and dressing up fancy in your house or doing American idol on zoom. <laughs> like we just, translate the ritual into like a new way. And I think you can create, you can, you can change and you can create whatever fantasy real world connection you want. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have found success doing things like having like a one date night a week type of thing. Like let's pick like Thursday nights, we'll do a virtual date night or Hey, like next time we video chat, let's make it, seem like more of a date since I can't take you out on a real date. Let's both cook the same meal together or let's watch this movie or let's read this book together and discuss it along the way. So I think there are definitely things you can mimic that you would be doing in real life with this person 
but even though you can't meet. And again, like Francesca said, there are people who had to write letters back and forth to each other for months and months and then finally meet in person and hang in there. Hopefully the end is near. Hopefully you will be able to meet. But if you guys are going to have that emotional connection, there are definitely ways that you can figure it out virtually. Right. I was just going to say, you know, for hundreds of years, people have been forced to create a uh, a emotional intimacy before they were able to create a physical intimacy. And there can be huge value in that if you're looking for a long-term relationship. You know, you can find advantages in that. People, that's how it's worked in dating for hundreds of years. And so, you know, if the pandemic is taking us back to some elements of that, that doesn't have to be such a bad thing always. Yeah. Beautifully said. Agree. Well, those are our listener questions. Um, Francesca, where can people find you? You know, where can they get the book? Oh, they uh, can find my book, Matrimony Inc. There when it you is. order it, probably won't have all the post-it notes. But anyway, oh, uh, I want the post-it notes. Oh, those are the best I'll part. Those. I know. Um, you can find that in all good bookshops or online. It just came out a couple of months ago, and it will be the world's best Valentine's Day present, right, for people? Great um, gift. And that's where you can find most of my work. Yes. Amazing. Perfect. Well, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for hanging out with us on the show. It's been so fun. I've loved it. Thank you for your interest. And really, my favorite bit of my work as a historian is talking about the, the comparison between the past and the present. So to do this with you has been really like super fun for me as well. well it's well, been in, such in a maybe treat. Maybe in like 30 years, we'll hop back on here and we'll, we'll see where we're at with stuff. Hell Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> One, wait, last question. Where can I find your pineapple book? Oh, um, also on uh, online or anywhere. It's called The Pineapple. The Pineapple, and got it. It really, I, I say so myself, it's a weird but kind of fascinating book. Amazing. If anyone listening wants to start a book club for The Pineapple, let me know. Hit me up. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. We appreciate your time and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>